If you're new with us, we're in a message series about healthy marriages, dating, and relationships. Last week, we talked about the real F word, forgiveness, and uh, it was a challenging week. We talked about what happens when people that you love betray you, when you've been hurt, when you've been lied about, when you've been lied to, when you've been cheated on. What do you do? Does God expect you to forgive, and how do you forgive when those big, big things happen? If you weren't here, I'd suggest you go back. You can go to a our website, go to our YouTube channel, and you can take that in. But here's what's, what I wanted to tell you about. I had several conversations after last week about this whole forgiveness thing, and several people asked me this. They said, well, I get that I'm supposed to forgive others, and that frees me. I get that. And I get that God wants me to forgive. I get that. And God will forgive me. But what do you do when you can't forgive yourself? That's a great question, isn't it? And I'm thinking, man, I don't know if I've ever heard a message about that before. It's a really great question. And so today I want to talk about forgiving yourself. The person that may be the most difficult person on the globe to forgive. How do you forgive yourself? When it's been a long time. How do you forgive yourself when in your mind it's so difficult because you know what you did? You run it through your head on a regular basis. You wish you had an undo button and you could go back and undo what you did that you just can't forgive yourself about. And you've carried that guilt. You might be carrying shame. You struggle that you did something that hurt somebody that you love. You can't even hardly believe it's you that did that, but you did it. And I don't know what it might be for you. It might be that you drank too much one night and you did something that you can't undo. It could be that you got in an argument with someone and in the moment you said some words that you probably didn't really mean, although you might have meant it in the moment, but as you thought about it and you realize, I can't take that back. Maybe you were in your teens, maybe you were in high school, maybe you were in college and you got wrapped up and you did some things and you wish you could undo. For some of you, it's been years and years and you regretted it ever since it happened. And you're like, I, I just can't forgive myself. Maybe you cheated on a spouse. You say, I don't know if I could ever forgive myself. Maybe you're a workaholic and your kids are grown and you look back now and you're like, oh my gosh. I thought I was doing it for them, but I was never with them. And I can't go back and recapture those years with my kids. Maybe you're a had an addiction, and you were there, but you weren't there, and you thought no one knew, but it was obvious something was going on, and you just can't forgive yourself. How do you forgive yourself? What does God's Word, does He even address that? And you say, I love God. 
but I don't love me. And the shame that you feel and the guilt that you feel at times is just overwhelming. Still haunt you. Just won't go away. If you would, take out your message outlines. I want to start today by acknowledging something that I think is very important, and that is that not all guilt is created equal. Not all guilt is created equal. Some of you are living under what we might call a false guilt, and let me explain that. In other words, you're feeling guilty over something that you shouldn't feel guilty about. You say, what would that be like? Well, I don't know what it might be for you, but maybe when you were a kid, maybe when you were a teenager... And your parents got divorced. Remember I told you last week, my parents divorced when I was eight years old. And my dad would pick us up every other weekend for two or three years. And then he got a new girlfriend and then a new wife. And then it got very, very far in between. And probably from the age of about 12 to 18, I could count on one hand how many times my dad came and picked me up. And you know, for years, I, I asked my, as I look back now, I asked myself as a kid, like, Scott, what is wrong with you? Why doesn't your dad want to pick you up anymore? Maybe you shouldn't have asked for that. Maybe, maybe if you wouldn't have done that, maybe, you know, maybe they, they divorced because of you. What is it about you that your dad, your own dad, doesn't want to come and pick you up, but he's being a father to a new wife's kids? That's a false guilt. You know, I was probably in my 40s before I ever figured out and had somebody tell you, tell me, that's not you. That, that, that's a false guilt. That, you, you don't need to feel, you had nothing to do with your parents' divorce. You, it was nothing about you that your dad didn't come and get you, but it haunted me, right? Maybe you loved and trusted someone that took advantage of you. Maybe physically, maybe emotionally. Maybe they abused you. And, and listen, that's not on you. It may have affected you. You might have had this false guilt for all these years thinking, what was it about me? Why didn't I stop it? Why, why did I allow it? Listen, you were a kid. That was not your fault. That is a false guilt. And maybe for somebody just that, for somebody to tell you that today will allow you to have some freedom that, listen, that's on them. My dad not picking me up had everything to do with my dad and his choices, not about who I was as a kid. Plus, I mean, you know me, I was a little angel. I'm sure I was then too. But don't buy into the devil's game of shaming you with false guilt. And the devil loves to play the shame game. For some of you, that was <laughs> probably just a reminder of some things that you've struggled with. I, I know I asked, what's wrong with me? And that weighed on me, but it wasn't about me. False guilt is real, but it's very dangerous. It's non-productive, and it's not from God. Do you understand that? False guilt is not from God. It's from the evil one. I hope you get that, and I hope you never, ever forget that. And not all guilt is created equal. Now, there's another type of guilt and this guilt can actually, believe it or not, it can actually be a gift. It can actually be productive. It can actually draw you and draw me closer to the God who loves us. 
the right kind of guilt can actually be a gift that draws you into God's presence and doesn't draw you or push you further away. Godly sorrow, let's look at this. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 tells us that godly sorrow, somebody say godly sorrow. Godly sorrow, it brings repentance that leads to salvation. It's a sorrow that says, I wish I hadn't have done that. Do you see the difference between, I, didn't, I did not come and see me when I was eight years old. My daddy did that. That was false guilt. That's on him. But a godly sorrow for me would be something that I did. I hurt somebody. I was dishonest. I said something to someone that was really hurtful, and, and I wish I could undo that. It's a godly sorrow that brings repentance, which repentance is simply a turning or an about face. It's a change of direction. The Bible says here a godly sorrow, it leads to repentance. That's a new way of looking at it, a new direction, a change of heart, a change of behavior. It's that feeling of conviction that we have as Christ followers that says, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that. I mean, yeah, it was in the heat of the moment and I said that, but I wish I could take that back and I can't take it back, but I'm truthfully sorry for what I did, which would be the right thing to do is to ask that person that I said it to, to forgive me. That's what we talked about last week. It takes a big person to say, hey, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? That goes a long way in building reconciliation. But this godly sorrow is a sorrow that's driven by love. I can't believe I did that, God. I am so sorry. I don't want to act that way anymore. I don't want to go there again. I don't want to hurt someone like that again. That's a godly sorrow, and that will actually draw me closer to God. That's way different. Not all guilt is created equal. That's different than this shame guilt. I want to go in a different direction. I want to have a change in my behavior. I'm going to apologize because I want to live in freedom, and I want them to live in freedom. And so I'm going to own up to what I did. There's a big difference between a godly sorrow and that worldly sorrow, right? A good example of godly sorrow is Peter in the New Testament. Many of you probably can relate to Peter if you know his story. I know I can. Peter was a guy that was one of Jesus' followers. He had a lot of great attributes. He had a lot of good qualities. He, he uh, really did love God. And he could be a little on the arrogant side, right? He was going in the right direction. He had a good heart. He had good intentions. And then he did something that was dumber and dumb. Can anybody relate? Like you're just like, you're just, I love God. I'm doing the right things, trying to do all the right things. And then all of a sudden something happens, the circumstances around you change, and you just did something dumber and dumb, and you're like, how could I be that dumb? Well, I can be that way. Peter was kind of bragging on himself. And he tells Jesus, as they're having a conversation among the disciples and Jesus one day, like, Jesus, I'm your guy. Everybody else may leave you, Jesus. I can't speak for the rest of these disciples, but I can speak for me. And Bud, I mean, he probably gave him a fist bump or whatever. I got your back. I'll always be there for you. I'm never going to turn my back on you. Even if you're in a battle, even if it costs me my life, Jesus, I want you to know that I'm your man. I'll never let you down. <laughs> Jesus kind of sees through Peter. 
he has that ability. And he knew Peter's weaknesses. And so Jesus prophesies a little bit, and he says to Peter, he says, hey, Peter, you know what? You better take it down a couple of notches, dude. I hear what you're saying, but before the rooster crows at the end of the day, you're actually going to deny you even know me three times. Peter's like, no, I don't what you're talking about. Like, that would never be me. But that's exactly what happened. Jesus gets arrested. A little girl comes up to Peter and says, hey, weren't you... One of the guys that were hanging with Jesus, and he, Peter's like, no, Jesus who? Little girl, what are you talking about? I don't even know who he is. Another woman comes up not long after that and says, hey, hey, aren't you one of the disciples? You look, you look like one of the disciples. I thought I saw you walking with Jesus, Peter. Like, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't even know who this Jesus guy is. Like, I, I don't know where you thought you saw me. I was, I was like home. I was doing a crossword puzzle, and I was watching, you know, Jeopardy champions. What are you talking about? And then we read in Scripture that another, a third person confronts Peter. In Luke chapter 22, we pick up the story in verse 59. About an hour later, another person asserted, certainly, speaking of Peter, certainly this fellow was with Jesus, for he's a Galilean. And Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking... The rooster crowed. Now I'm going to show you a portion of scripture that you may have never noticed before. That to me just takes this and multiplies it exponentially. I mean, can you even just picture yourself being Peter? And knowing, no, Jesus, no way, nobody, I can't speak for them, but I'll never leave you. I'll never turn my back, and Jesus prophesies, says, no, you know what, take it down a little bit, because you're going to deny me that you even know me three times before the rooster crows today. No, 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 no. And then sure enough, once, twice, he does it for the third time, the rooster crows. Don't you know his mind instantly went to what he said? But what you may have never noticed is verse 61. As soon as the rooster crowed, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. He was there. Can you imagine? Like that just, oh my gosh, it can't get any worse than that. The Lord looked straight at Peter and it says, Peter remembered the word of the Lord that he had spoken to him before the rooster crows today. You'll disown me three times. And look at verse 62. And Peter went outside and he wept bitterly. That was a godly sorrow. He wept because I will guarantee you, Peter cannot believe what he just did. And Jesus saw him and looked him right in the eye. And all of what he just had told Jesus, right in his face, he denied him not once, not twice, but three times. Jesus looks him in the eye, and Peter walks away, goes outside, and weeps bitterly. You ever felt like that? In the middle of your best intentions, you did something that you swore you would never do. You've told yourself multiple times, I'll never go there again. I'll never be involved in that again. I'll never do this kind of activity again. And then you find yourself doing that same thing that you said you'd never do. 
I love this person with all my heart. And in a moment of anger, you say something that you can still remember today. And it's been years. You've promised yourself that you'll always or you'll never, and you did. And then you wake up and you look in the mirror and you say, I can't believe I did that again. I can't believe I was that stupid. And then we say something to ourselves that goes something like this. How could God love someone like me after I did that? How could God love me? And the moment you're dwelling in your shame, your spiritual enemy has you in a, in a corner that he wants you in because shame is the devil's game. Shame is what he wants to throw on you. And a different, then there's a big difference again between guilt and shame. If you're taking notes, let me tell you what guilt says. Guilt says I did something bad. I did something wrong. I did an act that I wish I hadn't have done. It's forgivable. You know what shame says? I am bad. Do you see the difference? Guilt says I did something bad. That was an act that I did that I'm not proud about. I wish I could take it back. I can't take it back. I have some godly sorrow that I did it or I did it again. That's guilt. Shame is I am bad. Because I did a bad act, I am a bad person. That's a whole different animal. That's what the devil wants you to believe is that not you just did something bad, but you are bad. You're, how could God forgive you? How could you forgive you? How could you be so stupid? How could you do what you said you'd never do? And from that moment on, the devil wants you to believe that you are bad, that you're pathetic, that no one could love you. You're useless. God will never use you again. He can't use you again because you are so dumb, because you brought so much shame on yourself. If people only knew what you did, you'd never be used in anything godly again. You'll never be blessed. You'll never measure up. You'll never be used by God. You are damaged. You'll never have a great marriage your kids will never honor or respect you. You're always going to be marked by the things you did, not because you did something bad, but shame says you are bad. And you know what we tell ourselves? The pain that you're experiencing because of what you did, you've bought the shame lie. Well, that's just payment for you what you did. You just got what you deserve. Your spiritual enemy has you exactly where he wants you. Can you imagine what Peter heard in his ear? What he said to himself when he looked in the mirror? Peter, you blew it big time. You didn't blow it just once or twice. You did it three times, and Jesus was right there when the rooster crowed. Jesus trusted you. He selected you to be one of his disciples. And then, Peter, you went off, and not only, not only did you brag about you'd never be the one, you were the one. And you betrayed him. 
And to top it off, Jesus saw you do it. Guess what, Peter? All the other disciples are going to know what you did. The word's going to spread. Your credibility is gone. Your life is basically over. Your ministry is gone. Peter, you should be so ashamed of yourself. Shame is the devil's playground. So the devil wants to use your shame to drive you away from God. Do you get that? The devil wants to use your shame and drive you away from God. How could God use you? Right? You're not good enough for God. You'll never measure up. So he wants to use your shame and make you believe that God could never use you. And so I just need to realize it. But God wants to use your guilt, not shame. God wants to use your guilt, that godly sorrow. God, I'm really sorry, to draw you to his grace. Somebody needs to take that in for a moment. God wants to use your guilt to draw you to his grace. As a Christ follower, if you are one, if you've crossed the line of faith spiritually and given your heart and life to Jesus, you know what? He cares about you on your worst day as much as he does on your best day. He's a God who's received you. His mercies, the Bible says, are new every single morning. There's freedom in Christ. Even when I do something wrong, the devil wants to use my shame and drive me away. God wants to extend his grace and draw me to himself. And our God is good. He wants to use a godly sorrow, a healthy guilt to draw us to his grace, to receive his mercy, for us to realize that when he hung on a cross and paid for sin, he paid for all of mine. I want you to think about this. If you know Peter's story now, do you know the story of Judas? Because there's some real similarities between those two stories. Peter denied Jesus three times. We know that. We just covered that. But do you know about Judas? Judas Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And it, but instead of having a godly sorrow like Peter did, who went outside and wept bitterly, that understood I blew it, Judas did what many of us do. In his shame, he had a worldly sorrow. His reaction was not weeping necessarily. He's like, I'm so busted. My life is over. I'm so ashamed. I can never face Jesus again. I can't face the other disciples again. I can't face my friends again. And you know what Judas did in his shame? Believing what the devil wanted him to believe, that not only did he do something bad, but he was bad. Judas separated himself from God, and then he took his own life. Shame is the devil's playground. Peter, who did something very similar to what Judas did, didn't have a worldly sorrow, but a godly sorrow. And he said, I am so, so sorry for what I did. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And godly sorrow leads to repentance. And what is repentance again? It's changing directions. I was going this way. Oh, 
that's horrible, I did that, I'm so sorry, I need to go this way. <laughs> Jesus went on to give his life on a cross. Why? For the forgiveness of our sins. Think about it. The one who was perfect became sin on a cross for us. He paid for all of my sin there. He paid for all of your sins there. He paid for the sins of everyone who ever has been created on this world and who would ever trust in him and ask him to forgive them. He would and give them credit for his perfection because he's already paid for all that they've done wrong. That's what Jesus did. And in John chapter 21, you can read this powerful story. Jesus shows up to Peter. This is after he failed him three times, after he denied him three times, after the rooster crowed, after he went outside and wept bitterly. Jesus looks at Peter. Don't you wonder what Peter was going, th what was going through his head? Because we've all had people do that, right? And we thought, we got, we, he's going to give me what I got coming. And Jesus looked at Peter again and said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, yeah, Lord, you know I love you. I just did something stupid, but I love you. Isn't that the way it is sometimes? Yeah, I love you. I just messed up. I love you, but I said something really horrible and ugly to you. I don't know why I did it, because I do love you, but I know I did it. You know what Jesus didn't say to Peter, which I love? He didn't say, because I'd have been tempted to do this, I told you to do it. Hey, Peter, I told you, didn't I tell you to deny me three times before the rooster crowed today? Didn't I tell you that? Yeah, you told me. Jesus didn't say that. He didn't say, you know what, Peter, I'm going to put you in spiritual timeout for a little bit. I want, I want you to go to your room, and I just want you to think about what you did for a little bit. I'm going to rub your nose in what you did a little bit. I'm going to put you in a spiritual timeout. Jesus didn't do that. You know what else he didn't do? He didn't give him the preacher voice thing. You know what you need to do, Peter? You need to wallow in your sin. You need to sit back for a while. You need to sit down, and you need to really go through what you did. Because you know what? You're going to go to a place where the worm never dies. You're going to go to the pits of hell where it's really hot, and there's weeping, and there's gnashing of teeth. That's what you deserve. <laughs> he didn't do that. I want you to see what he did do. And I want you to feel the love and the power in this. Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? I can imagine Jesus smiling when he said it to let Peter know, I'm not mad at you. I know your heart. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Then feed my sheep. In other words, then go do my, do my will. Do what you know I want you to do. Go show my love. Finish the assignment that I've given you as one of my followers. Then he asks him again, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do. You're forgiven. Go do what I created you to do. I find it amazing that Peter denied Jesus three times, and Jesus turned around with love and asked him three times, do you love me? And three times gave him the same answer. Go do what I've created you to do. I've forgiven you. I'm not here to rub it in. 
And let me tell you what Peter didn't do. And this is huge for those of us that struggle with the idea of forgiving yourself. Peter didn't say to Jesus, you know what, Jesus, I hear you. But I just can't receive your grace, Lord. I can never forgive myself. I can never get over this. I don't deserve it. Jesus, your grace may be good enough for John. Might be good enough for the lady at the well but I just don't feel your grace is good enough for me. Peter didn't do that to himself, but you know what? Some of us in this room and people listening, you've done it to yourself. I don't deserve to be forgiven for what I did. You're right. We don't deserve to be forgiven. That's what makes God's grace so amazing. He offers us through his son's death on the cross what we don't deserve. Peter apologized. He repented. He wept. And he received the forgiveness of God. He received Jesus' forgiveness. Now, I don't know what you're holding on to today. I don't know your past and what it is that you've struggled to forgive yourself from. It could have been last week. It could have been last night. It could have been 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. I don't know. But if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've confessed it to Jesus, if you've told him that you're sorry and you genuinely are, it's forgiven. It's been paid for. And it's time for you to stop punishing yourself for what Jesus is not punishing you for. He took the punishment that that deserves. You know what you need to do? You just need to let it go. You need to let it go. Why would you choose to punish yourself with something that Jesus already paid for and he doesn't hold it against you? You got to let it go. Let it go. Now for those of you that think I might break out in a Disney song from Frozen, it's not it's not going to happen. And I've got five grandkids. I know that song very well. I'm not going to sing it, but I'll preach it in this sermon. You need to let it go. You need to let it go. Haven't you paid long enough for something that Jesus already paid for? And God's word says in 1 John 1, 9, that if we will confess our sins to God, that he's faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins, and he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you circle all unrighteousness? That's even the thing that you did like Peter did three times and you said you'd never do it, but you did it and you did it again. All unrighteousness, you got to let it go. It's been paid for. It's been covered by the blood of Jesus and God doesn't hold it against you and Jesus doesn't, so why would you? You've got to let it go. You get to let it go. Let it go. No matter how hard you try, if you're taking notes, no matter how sorry you are for what you did, you cannot change your past. Even God can't change the past. But the good news is our God can change your future. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. And spend the rest of your life moving forward being faithful to a God that offers you what you don't deserve.
And here's what's going to happen, though, and be warned. Please don't miss this. That spiritual enemy that we have is sly. He's very sly. And every now and then, he's going to bring up your past. He's going to try to whisper in your ear. What you did. He's just trying to get you off base, off course. He's just trying to talk you out of God's potential for the rest of your life. If he can keep you stuck and living in shame and thinking you are bad because you did something bad rather than forgiven, then he negates your effectiveness moving forward doing God's work. When the day of Pentecost came, when God was going to birth a New Testament church, and he went through his mind of who he was going to have deliver that message that day, his selection out of all of his choices, believe it or not, was to choose Peter. And if you know that message that Peter preached, you'd know that the theme of Peter's message that day where 3,000 people in one day gave their life to Christ, the message topic was repent of all your sins and turn, repent, turn, and call on the name of Jesus and you'll be saved. (laughs) And you'll be forgiven. Now who better... In some ways, you'd be like, why would he choose Peter? Because Peter knew more than anyone else the power of forgiveness, of being forgiven, of the power of repentance that leads to godly sorrow. He was the recipient, the benefactor of it. And who better to share with people that needed it than the one who just had received it? If you've been forgiven of much, let me tell you, you will have much love. When you realize all that you've been forgiven for, you're more apt to freely forgive others because you realize that God, through Jesus, didn't give you what you deserved. So who that's received what they don't deserve would have the audacity to not give forgiveness to someone else that doesn't deserve it? You are not what you did. That's something you did. But when you come to Christ and you repent and ask for forgiveness, he gives you that as a gift of grace. And the Bible says he makes all things new. That's what you did. It's not who you are. You know who you are in Christ? If you've crossed that line of faith, you are a child of God. That was a bad page in your storybook. That might have been a bad chapter, a couple of bad chapters, but that's not your whole story. Your story, if you've received Christ, has been covered by his blood. That's why this verse, as we close, is so important. As a believer, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you is faithful to carry it out until completion, until the day of Christ. That's how amazing His grace is.
That's how powerful his shed blood was. And if you know Christ personally, if you've received him as Savior and Lord, you're a recipient of that grace. You're loved. You're forgiven. You've done some dumb things and some bad things, but that's not who you are. You're his child, and he's proud to call you that. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we ask today that you uh, would do what only you can do, some spiritual surgery in hearts. Those of us in this room, those that are watching from their home or from wherever they're at, for those of us that have given our heart and life to you by faith, we've repented. We turned from doing life our way and we turned to you and asked for you to save us, to forgive us, to adopt us into your family, and you did. You've already paid for everything we ever have or will do wrong. It's been forgiven. It was nailed to the cross. You say that our sins are then cast as far as the east is from the west. They've been thrown into the sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered anymore. So God, help us not to fish and drag up things from the past that you've already paid for. I pray that you'd give us the courage and the insight just to let it go. God, we receive your forgiveness. And we choose those of us that have been holding on to things about ourselves. We choose to acknowledge and to do today what you've already done through your death on the cross, and that is to forgive ourselves. That we're letting it go. We're releasing it. We're claiming the freedom that comes in Christ through what you did for us on a cross. As our heads are still bowed and our eyes closed, listen. If you've never given your heart and life to Jesus, can I tell you that today's your day? Whether you're at home or whether you're seated in this room, can I tell you more than important than your next breath is to know where you stand with the God who loves you and created you? A God who knows everything you've done wrong but is not mad at you, he's mad about you. He so loved you that he sent his son Jesus to be birthed as a baby, to grow as an adult who at 33 years of, old, of age allowed himself to be beaten and tortured and hung on a cross, beaten beyond recognition, and died was buried in a borrowed tomb, and three days later, later did exactly what he had prophesied that he would do. He rose from the dead and defeated death so that whoever would call on him the name of Jesus, they would be saved. There's not two, three, or five ways to heaven. There's one way. The way is a person. His name is Jesus. Jesus said in his own words in Mark, John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
that's a narrow way because there's only one way. But that way is available to you. It's available to anyone who will admit that they're a sinner, turn from their sin, and turn to the one way, the person of Jesus, and say, Jesus, I am so sorry for everything I've done wrong. I'm done living my way. I want to start living for you. So today, I give you my heart. I ask you to forgive me, to give me the gift of eternal life. Adopt me into your family. And from this day forward, no matter how long I live, I belong to you. No matter when I die, heaven will be my home. And from this day forward, I want to use everything you've given me, my time, my talent, my resources, to honor you and to point others to you. I say thanks in the name that's above all names, the name of Jesus. And everybody said,